Hi, I'm Rick. I'm Dan. I'm George. I'm Jake. And, and we are Queer Magnolias, the podcast. In each episode, we're going to talk about everything from growing up queer in the South to the issues affecting our community today. With a little bit of fabulous sprinkled in along the way. Join us for an all-you-can-eat buffet of queer joy. Mixed in with the occasional bitch fest. But always served with, with the, the spiciest, spiciest tea. Well, welcome back to another episode of Queer Magnolias. Hi, y'all. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so on this episode, you guys, we're going to take you on a journey through the lives of two incredible trans guests. Our two extraordinary guests will share their authentic journeys, illuminating the triumphs and the challenges of being trans. So prepare to be educated, entertained, and moved by the complexities of gender identity and the path to self-acceptance. Through their experiences, we hope that all of us can gain a little insight into the triumphs, setbacks, and the strengths that come from embracing one's true self. And fuck anyone who dares to get in the way of that. Yes. So welcome, y'all. I agree with that. So why don't we start with each of you, Khalif, introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you. And then Chris will have you introduce yourself and do the same. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for the beautiful introduction, Queer Magnolia team. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my name is Khalif Starks, and uh, I am a Black trans woman, uh, born and partially raised in Fresno, California. So I grew up in Fresno, had a really rocky childhood. You know, I come from a family that is very uh, hood and very conservative as well and very religious as well. So I did not have supportive family at all in, in, in my transness and in my queer journey. And I call it queer because, you know, I'm a trans woman, so I'm, a, I'm an unconventional woman. You know what I mean? I am a different woman, you know, but I'm still a woman. Um, but growing up, it was it was pretty tough, to be honest. You know, I come from the west side of Fresno. Uh, didn't come from anything. You know, my father was a single dad. Uh, my father had some uh, substance issues as well with alcohol. He was an alcoholic. And, you know, so um, dealing with that and still going to school every day and being bullied in school and being bullied at home, um, it was a lot, you know. So, uh, you know, I definitely uh, am so honored to, like, share and and definitely share parts of my story so I grew up in Fresno, moved to Pasadena uh, because my father put me out the house. And uh, in my earlier teenage years, I was so feminine. And all my life, I've been highly, highly feminine. Mm -hmm. uh, and my father, I think as I got a little bit older, I think my dad was kind of like, oh, you're not going to change, you know? <laughs> so you got to get out of my house. And that, that's, that was literally the interaction that we had, um, you know, because I did deal with a lot of like abuse and uh, physical abuse from my father, you know? For being who I was, because you know where I come from, the 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 modality is beat it out of you. You get what I'm saying. So that's just how I grew up. Um, so was literally couch hopping, living with all these family members, living on the streets. It was a hot mess. Then one of my family members paid for me to have a bus ticket, and I moved to Altadena, California, which is literally right above Pasadena. They're basically two separate cities, but the same city, basically. Mm. Uh, so I moved there with my mom. Me and my mom were homeless, and uh, she was, like, renting a garage, and then we, like, lived in a shelter. So it was it was pretty chaotic. It was wow. super, super chaotic. This whole time, I was still going to school, still getting good grades. You know, I saw education as, like, my only... Uh, way to gain uh, sustainability, you know? So education was super, super, super important to me. Um, I had a lot of teachers and mentors who believed in me. 
and they were like very sensitive of me, you know, as they saw me struggling with my mom and stuff. When it came to my transition, I've always wanted to transition. I've always known that I was a trans person, a trans girl, trans woman now. Um, but back then, you know, the world, I, I felt like I had to like literally live as a gay boy just to get by because <laughs> my mom already knew. I told my mom, I was like 14. I was like, and my mom, she was like, do you want to be a girl? And I was like, yeah, I want to be a girl. And she was so angry. She was so upset. And it's not, do I want to be a girl? Do you feel that you're a girl? And I was like, you know, I do feel that this is who I am. Um, but at that time, our language was different. You know, our language was not nearly as inclusive as it is now. It, it wasn't as progressive. And mind you, this was back in like 2008, 2009, you know, and I literally was like, oh my God. Yeah, I was like 14, 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, me and my mom had a really, really rocky, 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 rocky relationship. Um, ran away a lot, you know, so I, I literally was that homeless youth that you see on the streets of Hollywood now at the LA LGBT center. That was me, uh, 15, 16 years ago. I remember I would like take the train, the gold line train to West Hollywood. And I would hang out on the streets with the trans girls and, you know, and they would school me on how to do it, you know? And when I say how to do it, I mean, transition and, you know, live, you know, the life of a woman, you know, um, I did not have a history of sex work or anything like that. That's something that I luckily did not have to do because for me, I just, I was so fixated on school and like education. Um, And while I was homeless, when I left home at 17, I lived in a program called Los Angeles Youth Network. Now it's defunct. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was right on Gower by the Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah. It was the shelter shelter right there. And yeah. And my mom, my mom was also physically abusive too so it's like I was going back to school and people were seeing me like emotionally distraught it was it was a mess like it was a very chaotic uh teenage time for me so um not to make this too long just telling you my story um long story short left my mom at 17 stayed in another program after the shelter they had an independent no 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 not an independent living they had a group home called Beachwood um which is right in Hollywood like in the hills they had this beautiful group home right on Beachwood Drive And I stayed there and finished high school, got accepted into UCLA, and I'm here now today. So, uh, you know, it's 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 been it's been a really rocky, 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 (laughs) rocky time for me. But um, yeah, that that those are pieces of my story. Oh my gosh! And I I do want to get back to that because there are so many layers. Yeah, I have a lot. (laughs) But that's so amazing. I mean. And you're here, which is so important. And we're going to get to the here now or in a minute. Chris, can you give us an idea of what it was like for you growing up? Um, yeah, I I went through a lot of the same thing. Um, I had the physical abuse. My mom was an alcoholic. Um, the physical abuse started when I wouldn't dress a certain way or act a certain way. And it just escalated Um there was one time I even had a gun to my head by my mom. Um, I ended up oh running God. away. Yeah. Uh, I ended up running away three times. Um, the third time I ran away, I actually got to stay gone because when the cop found where I was, I, I had them call my mom because I knew she would be wasted, drunk and passed out. And they couldn't get a hold of her after she had been spending all afternoon harassing them. And so they believed me that time and let me stay gone. Um, I did not continue education. You know, that was, that's very noble that you continue education through all the struggles. I was not able to do that. Um, I got in a lot of trouble. 
from starting off, you know, with nothing. There's times I've slept on the streets and the cemeteries where they had trash cans, you know. Um, that was all identifying as a lesbian, but when I came out as trans, um, she seems to be okay with that part. Oh, wow. All oh, right. That's that, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, I think that's something sort of different than I have thought. So I want to ask you something though. You, you mentioned you got in trouble a lot. I, I have not been homeless at all. So I have zero idea what that's like. So I can only imagine that if you encounter homelessness, then you must get into trouble, right? Because I mean, yeah. th- there isn't there isn't that what we call home with a roof over our head. So right. can you talk about that? Either one of you or both of you? You have to survive. You you when you're thrown into a situation like that, you know, at home it was survive trying to fight my for my life there. And then I throw myself into the street instead because I figure I have a better chance on my own. And when you do that, you don't have anything. You're fighting to survive out there. So you're going to have to do whatever it takes to survive. And, you know, a lot of my survival came from friends. So that worked from, you know, like I stayed in a park by their house. Their parents didn't know. So that worked to an extent. But as you grow older, I mean, you get in more and more trouble. Yeah. And and just to piggyback off of Chris, you know, um, trouble is always around the corner. Like I remember when I left my father, my father was highly fizzed, like crazy. Like think of Ike Turner, right? That was like my dad Mm. in the sense of like, he would beat you and then buy you stuff. You get what I'm saying? Mm. Like that that was what I dealt with. Um, And the abuse was crazy. I remember like there were times where he would boil hot water and throw it on my oh, face. Oh my God. Not, not to get too crazy, but that was like a normal thing. Um, oh my would, God, Khalif. That is. Yeah, but, but, that, but that was like how I, you know, I know it's so crazy. Sorry to be triggering, but no, 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 you know, but, the abuse, the abuse was, you know, it was that bad. And I remember I would run away and I would sleep at the food for less, like where the baskets were, I would sleep like where the baskets were and I would hide literally um, as a teen, literally like at 12, 13. Um, and it got to a point where with him, him, that was what I knew all my life. And I got, I really just got tired of it. And I like stood up to him and that's when he kicked me out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then with my mom, my mom was also the same way. And how, how I avoided trouble because trouble definitely came to me. I've, I've been propositioned to be a sex worker. I've, I've had people attempt to pimp me out and I was very like, that's not what I do, you know? Uh, but it's, it's always there. Like I, I had men who would try to do that to me. Um, you know, human trafficking and, and sex trafficking is very real out here. Yeah. And growing up, I was definitely propositioned a lot and I would always decline or figure out ways to not do it. Um, and, you know, but back to the abuse really quickly. Um, it got, you know, it got so bad with both of my parents to where I was like, I would rather be homeless. I would rather, you know, live in a shelter or live in a park or, you know, do whatever I have to do. Like, I remember one time my dad, like he found me sleeping at a bus stop. Cause I would run, I ran away a lot. Like I ran away like 25, 30 times. It was crazy. I would always run away, you know, <laughs> but my dad, he would like drive around looking for me and my mom would too, both of them. Cause my father was in Fresno. My mom was here, you know, but at both it's, both time periods, I would run away a lot. I would just, you know, and I wasn't a bad kid. It's just that I was going through a lot. I was still getting good grades in school the whole time. It was a mess, you know, but um, trouble is always there to take it back. And it was one of those things where I just, I literally kept 
like trying my best, you know, with the education route, you know, and I, and I understand that that was also a choice too, but I also understand that in some cases we don't have choices, you know, and when it comes to street life, street life is very real. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I could just, like, I literally lost like trans homegirls to the streets. You get what I'm saying? Cause they were out there and they started doing drugs and they just got lost. You know what I mean? And it's, mm-hmm. and, you, and it's just interesting. It's like, you could, you could quickly, you can quickly, quickly get lost if you, if you make certain decisions, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm assuming also, you know, cause I, I do know from some statistics, it's hard to track real homelessness, but especially among children, because I think you move around a little more. Is that a fair assumption? There's also a trust issue as well. Um, I I did a little research uh, not not too long ago on LGBTQ homeless youth. And a lot of what I found out is that there's a lot of uh, lack of trust uh, in sort of talking about it with uh, with professionals or people in general. Uh, you know, I think it's probably a combination of all of that, especially with LGBTQ youth. And, I, and not only that, you know, LGBTQ youth literally rarely have anyone to turn to, you know. Mm-hmm. I, even in these programs, you know, some of the staff members are not the best. Uh, some of the staff members will, will do certain things to LGBTQ youth as well mm-hmm. um, and get them into trouble as well. You know what I mean? So it's it's like being a former LGBTQ youth, you're kind of, um, you're being hit every, every angle. Like it's always something, you know, around that's probably either like get, wanting you to get into trouble or you just have to get into trouble to survive. Yeah. It, it just, it feels like there's always like someone around it's trying like to stack. Right. Yeah. Like uh-huh. it feels like the odds could be really against you. I don't, I don't know if Chris wants to elaborate. More. No. Yeah. That's very, that's very true. Uh, you don't want to reach out to anybody because then you think, Oh, well, they're going to send me back or they're going to send me to some facility or something. I've had several uh, youth reach out to me asking, you know, not putting a lot of information out there, asking basically what would happen if they call Rainbow Youth Project, um, you know, would somebody call on them or anything? And I've had to tell them flat out, like, unless, I mean, if you're doing something harmful to yourself, yes, they will. But it, it does happen. They're, they're scared. I was scared. So that's a great point, Chris. Why don't you talk a little bit about the work that you do with the, with the Rainbow Youth Project and the Trans Action Committee? Yeah, I know we covered it in a previous episode, but uh, for the purposes of this, just talk a little bit about that. Um, Yeah, I'm basically just on social media. They'll come to me on private messages and I'll have to reroute them to actual Rainbow Youth Project just because there is a lot of people out there right now trying to target um, and catch us up, like slip us up in conversation. So we can't even like communicate with these youth um, the way I used to before I got involved with Rainbow Youth Project because like Moms for Liberty or, you know, they'll send people in trying to pretending to, to be, slip up and say yeah. something. Yeah, yeah they're, but they're um, oftentimes pretending to be kids when they're actually full grown adults and they're trying to trap yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so I have terrible. to send them to straight to Rainbow Youth Project, you know, so they can talk to a counselor and all that stuff. Um, basically, I'm, I'm sometimes just the middleman just to send them that way. But other than that, I just make sure I keep spreading education and being there for them to 
come get advice from me if they need it, you know, Lance and them, if they need a trans person's outlook, you know. And just for the audience members, the Rainbow Youth Project is a nonprofit social welfare organization that promotes the safety, the health, and the well-being of LGBTQ2S plus youth and young people through the various programs that they offer. And Chris works very closely with Lance, who is part of the leadership team for Rainbow Youth Project. Yes, Lance is amazing. There's your plug. (laughs) So, Khalif, I want to come back to the conversation. You were talking about the Beachwood group home that you were at. Yeah. Was that, what was that experience like for you? I know that sometimes it can be a little dicey when you're in group homes. So I'm just kind of curious how that was for you. You know, um, it was dicey at some points. Uh, That group home was uh, called the Beachwood House from Los Angeles Youth Network, which I believe they changed their name. I I think they're like a whole nother entity now. Mm. Um, But yeah, oh my gosh, I was in high school. I was like 16 at the time, 16, 17. And living there, um, you know, people also saw my transness as well. At that time, I, you know, I, I didn't have the ability to medically transition, but socially I was, I was super like in it, like wearing girl clothes. I was super like, back then it was considered what gender fuck or um, yeah. mm-hmm. you didn't have a non-binary term, but I was super feminine. Like I would wear heels or the purse, go onto the train, like, you know, like, and I had my little lineup, my little fake lip gloss popping. I was like, girl, we're here, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I just, I feel like uh, back then, you know, the world, would be like you're an effeminate gay guy, you know, but I literally already knew I was like, I'm one of the girls, honey, I'm, I'm a woman. Um, but, you know, explaining that to people was tough. You know, I had some staff members who had their own biases against, mm-hmm. you know, trans women. Um, and I think that people saw that through me. I, you know, people had their own biases against effeminate gay men and people saw that through me as well at that time in my life. You know, um, but I was, I was very, like, I had like this laser focus um, because I, I was just like, you know, I, I don't want to fall victim to the street life, you know? So yeah. that's why I was like, you have to have discipline in your life. So even back then I was, I was highly disciplined. I would get up every morning, take the train, the red line <laughs> to, uh, to the goal line and go to Pasadena high school. Like I was getting up every single day, like making it to class on time. And just, uh, I had a, a mentor there. Her name was Jennifer Levins. So at the Beachwood house, what was good about the Beachwood house is that it was a beautiful home, <laughs> all your meals, and it was up to you to do what you had to do, right? So we had some youth there who, you know, didn't really succeed, you know, because they were dealing with a lot or they probably didn't have the best guidance. Mm-hmm. They probably had some behavioral issues. Then you had some youth who finally felt like, oh my God, I have peace. I could live in this group home for about a year to two years and get myself together. I can graduate high school and then I have a case manager that I could check in with weekly to make sure I'm going to school, make sure I'm, you know, if I'm working, I'm saving my money. You know, so we did have good case managers who were there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was sort of like a, some of us, you know, did what we had to do and we succeeded and some of us didn't, you know, so it was both, you know, we had some, some youth who had gotten kicked out of the house or they brought weapons into the house. Um, I had, I had situations where people tried to fight me, you know, and I was like, honey, you're not going to hit me. And, you know, so, you know, things like that would happen because, you know, I didn't want to lose my spot in the house. So I would try my best to like stay out of conflict and, you know, um, it was, you know, you, we had homophobic residents and transphobic residents there. So I would deal with that, but I would often have to kind of like pick and choose my battle. So I wouldn't lose my, my, my living situation. Right. So 
there were times where, you know, the kids get a little rowdy, like, oh, let's go outside, let's throw some hands, and, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, honey, we can't do that, I don't want to get kicked out, you know, so it felt like a reality show in that way, but um, Jennifer Levins was one of the college, uh, she was like one of the school counselors there, and she would also help the youth who wanted to go to college she would help us write our personal statements. She would teach us how to apply to colleges and how to get ready and be college ready. Mm-hmm. So at, at the time, they had Jennifer Levins and Ronnie Duran, um, and they were so supportive of all of us. Like there were other ones who got into school too. Um, and then they also had a therapist at the time. His name was Tom. He actually works at Children's Hospital Los Angeles right now. I don't know if you all know him, but Tom at the time, he was my therapist back then. So as I was dealing with all of this, I was like going to therapy because I was like, you've been through a lot and you got to work that out if you yeah. want to succeed. So, you know, I, that that was my thinking back then at, at 16 years old. <laughs> you know, I was very like, let me go to talk to somebody so I can get my shit together <laughs> so I could like get this together and I could focus. Um, so that was my journey back then at the Beachwood. Well, you were so wise at 16. Like you seem like, (laughs) like, that's amazing. It's so good on you. Well, you know, I, I, but see, I give that, I give that to the mentors as well. You get me? I had a lot of like teachers at school who knew what I was going through and they would literally like kind of be like a mom or dad in that way. Like they would be like, oh, let me like pour into you. So, you know, I, I I give it to the teachers because I didn't, I had friends, but my friends were really, um, my friends were kind of like, I, I I would say skittish is the best word because we were all kids. The friends didn't know what the hell to do. You know, like they didn't know what, what I was really dealing with with my mom and homelessness and stuff and how my mom was threatening to kill me. And like I had my mom like threatening to kill me sometimes. <laughs> and I was I was trying to keep this all under wraps, you know, and I was trying to like protect my mom and not and not tell the school. But then it got out and it was just so mm-hmm. messy and um really chaotic. So, you know, the teachers and mentors at that program definitely did me well. Chris, did you have any mentors along the way when you were going through homelessness and, and uh, at home? I was 14. Um, I had already dropped out of school because my mom made me. I had already had a job where she worked. Um, so I didn't have like any counseling during that time, anybody to look up to. I was in my own world. Um, the only thing I had was a long distance girlfriend and that's where I kept trying to go to. Um, eventually I ended up staying in her house. Her mom wasn't okay with that until she just became okay with the fact that I climbed in the window every night. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just how that became a thing, you know, but, uh, no, I didn't have any support like that. You know, that's why those, those homes are so important to have that support makes a world of difference. Look, she got an education, you know, she, she was able to do all these things. That's why it needs to be out there more. Cause I, I didn't have representation to even see where I was at. I never heard of anything like that. And you know, it was so interesting that when we talk about representation, like back then I, I also didn't really have that either. So I think with, with both of us, like it, it was, it was a super lonely time as well. And I, I think for me back at that time, I was like, I felt like I kind of had to like prove myself 
to the staff members as well. Because I would I would have staff who would be like, oh, you're just gonna be on Santa Monica selling cat girl. You know, like that, <laughs> that staff would say that too. Staff would say that to the trans girls and the gay boys. Wow. Like, oh, you're just gonna be a hoe. You know what I mean? Right. And and that's that's what they would say. And um, you know, I was just very much so like, you know, well, I'm 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 gonna try to do something here. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to do something. You know, so that was that was I, I feel like I just had, although I was really broken and like really lost at that time, I, I also had that weird uh, hunger or determination mm-hmm. at the same time, which, which motivated me to to also work in the community. You know, I worked at the Covenant House California um, as a career specialist there, um, and they never hired a trans female staff member before, a trans girl before. They only hired like trans trans male staff. So they took a, a, a chance with me. Um, so I worked there for a little bit in the last like three years. And then I also worked at Children's Hospital Los Angeles for their um, adolescent medicine program. So I was a prep navigator there for about two years. Then I also worked for Blush, which was the group for trans youth there and non-binary youth. It was a support group that we had, so I did that. And then I worked at the LA LGBT Center in the policy department uh, for intimate partner violence. So, yeah. I I think it's critical that a lot of these organizations um, bring in and employ the people that they cater their services to because it's important, uh, you know, to be able to understand the experience versus just being able to talk about talking points on a piece of paper, you know, or or what you've been told. Yeah. You can have the best intentions in the world, but until you've actually walked in someone's shoes or like you're living this, you are, uh, you are the people that you're trying to serve. You don't have all the answers. You don't have all the facts. You just don't. Right. And I think it's also important that, you know, we're beginning to see a little more, but representation in media, whether it's, uh, television, movies, or whatever, we have to see ourselves represented because as Khalif said, you feel left out, right? You don't, if you don't see that representation, you feel lonely and you can't understand. I would assume everybody says I'm the only one. That's Mm -hmm. what I thought living in a very small rural town. I knew I was different, but I didn't know why I was different because there was no representation. There were maybe a few things on television that people made fun of. But that's not representation. That Mm -hmm. just makes you feel worse. Mm. So, Khalif, you did mention something that I just love is you were talking about finding peace. So Mm -hmm. is that is that still important to you? And I don't ask that in a a small way. I mean, that very. Yeah. Before I answer that question, can I touch on the representation moment that you just made? Yeah. I want to piggyback on Chris. Like back then, there weren't a lot of trans male at all. Like that, that was just like not even like all. I think we had what Chaz Bono, and that's it. But Chaz was so quiet. That was later Chaz, on. But Chaz did. Oh, it was later on. Okay, yeah. But even when he popped up, he didn't really talk. It was always Cher talking about his journey, but he didn't really talk. He didn't really hear him talking about his journey. You know. Um, and even back then as well, at the time, we only had ISIS. We had ISIS King. We had Carmen Carrera. We had Laverne Cox. You get what I'm saying? So those were like the few. Um, but yes, yeah, so to, touch, to touch on the peace conversation, peace is pivotal. I, I feel that like living this experience, uh, if you if you are a part of any like marginalized group, you're going to have some type of like muck there. You get what I'm saying? And, and I think that's what we all can relate to in the LGBTQ community. 
So, so peace is like pivotal for me. Like I, I meditate. <laughs> I don't always get it right. I'm not always the most consistent person who meditates, but I, I do have a part of my life where I'm very like woo-saw. Like I literally went to a sound bath and breathwork session a week ago <laughs> in a garden. A lot of people don't know me, don't know that, that side of me, but I, I do try my best to practice a level of uh, peace and like spirituality just to keep me uh, grounded and keep me sane. Um, and also, too, I, I just think in the times that we're living in right now, you know, all of our joy is important. That's why I, I try to take moments to have fun. I try to take moments to be in community with people. Yeah. Um, like I try to take advantage of those times and those moments to kind of keep my cup full as well, um, as, as best as I can. And to so, keep the battery charged. Yeah. Sure. Transitioning a little bit to the current climate legislative issues, I read an article recently a few months ago in the New York Times that talked about what I will call all of this trans panic that we're seeing uh, across the board. And it talked about how that came to be and, and sort of where it came from. And it was a specific strategy from the GOP after they felt they had lost the the gay marriage debate. And so it, they were trying to find a topic that they could sort of gin up the masses and to get people all riled up and and, and um, worrying about, I guess, if you will. And they were able to come up with trans athletes in sports, and they were kind of surprised, impressed, I think the article said, that it exploded in the way that it has. I want to talk a little bit about what what's going on and what we can do to sort of overcome that. And before I do that, I will say Chris and I were talking offline earlier, and he had made a really great point about how you know it's it's comes out of fear. A lot of people don't know trans people. They think that trans is something new that's come along, and trans is not new. It's been around for a very very long time. But it, it's the lack of representation, lack of visibility within the community. And I want to sort of talk a little bit about what some of those common misconceptions might be, or you know stereotypes. What can what message can we put out there to sort of overcome some of that? Um, a lot of the misconception is that it's a a choice you know it's it's not a choice somebody outside of like myself they can't see they can't see how it feels inside me they can't see how 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 serious it is i guess um having this feeling inside it's like a deep internal misbelonging they can't understand that you know they think it's a choice the choice is to transition but being a trans being trans is not a choice and and to piggyback, you know, they not only think that it's a choice, but oftentimes they're basing a lot of their ideologies, um, you know, upon religion and beliefs, right? You know, that's that's the root of it as well. It's like, oh my God, this is challenging my beliefs, and this is something that I just don't believe in as well. So, you know, a lot of the times, the reason why they're acting like transness is new is because it goes back to them not wanting to believe in it. These people already know that trans people exist. They already know. They've already seen Jerry Springer. They've already seen all the shows. They they if if they you know my whole thing with them is like they they already know the stereotypes. They already know the negative things about being trans they already know that stuff they know that very well you know yeah. so I you know I, I kind of don't even give them a lot of grace in that arena that they just don't have any knowledge because they do but um 
you know, they often view what we do as a choice, but they're also choosing big, uh, bigotry. They're choosing to hate. You know, these are choices that they're making. You know what I mean? They're they're oh. choosing to they're choosing to be against a subset or not a subset, but a marginalized community, um, and weaponize their own privileges as if as if trans people are threatening or or infringing upon the privileges that they have. Right. So, you know, I just I just think that they don't know how to critically think, and they don't want to. I think you're right about that. Yeah. I think it's I think it's an ignorance and they don't want to do better. willful willful thank you willful yes that's that's the choice girl that's the choice they, they're aware of trans people you know the stuff that they say online calling trans people and drag queens groomers and all this wild shit you know i i did a youtube video talking about the kansas bill hb338 which was like a hoax it, i found it on a uh, i was actually fact checked it on reuters <laughs> but uh-huh. it was a scare tactic uh, a scare tactic that the gop used on twitter back in April of this year. Um, But at that time, I remember I did a video responding to just anti-trans legislation in general for my podcast. And people were like saying, oh my God, you're promoting uh, grooming. Like you're you're basically a groomer. Why are you supporting, you know, drag queens and da-da-da-da-da-da? You know, so when I was was just seeing the rhetoric that people are using, I'm like, okay, every everything that we say every time we step out here and we're and we're visible and we advocate the opposite side is always going to figure out talking points and ways to basically say oh my god you're not right or you're wrong or you you being trans is a choice or this this goes against god they always want to bring god into it this goes against religion this goes against the creed of america but you know in the words of laverne cox you know aren't we in the land of the free that's laverne who said that you know aren't we in the land of the free we're you know yeah, I just think that we live in a time where people are very, they just operate in a very um, hateful and selfish and scarcity mindset. I think that they feel like someone is taking something from them because they're shocked that people who are different are actually elevating and actually being happy with said differences, rather they're trans, gay, bisexual, lesbian, or whatever they are, non-binary. I think when people see our happiness and see us like achieving things and like normalizing our own lives and humanizing our own lives after being told that we were not human and that we were not normal. I think, I think that's also a part of the disconnect as well. They, they can't, they can't take. And you know, one thing I know this, no one ever said they didn't want to take your tax dollar. No one, mm-hmm. no, no politician mm-hmm. said, Oh, don't worry. You're marginalized. So you don't have to pay taxes. You just get to go free. They right. don't mind what they take away from someone mm-hmm. ever. And it's well, like, really? We're, we're all equal. Well, I think it's all about taking away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want to take away. You're absolutely right. But they, they, it's just, it's so, just they'll take our money, but they won't yeah. give us anything they back for it. Yeah. Precisely. And we're all human. We are exactly equal. Every single human is equal. Mm-hmm. We, no one deserves more than or less than. We all deserve perfect happiness and yeah, we all deserve love equity. we all deserve equity you know we all deserve yes. access to housing we all deserve access to jobs and employment we all deserve the Healthcare. right to vote. you know yeah. these, these are things that we all deserve the right to choose if we want to participate in it and just because who we are you know regardless of who we are gay effeminate gay non-binary gender fuck oh i want to wear this today whatever we are you get what i'm saying like i i just I, you know i just think that it's interesting that we're in a time where there's this major reverse 
that yeah. we're witnessing. You know, they're literally violating the Constitution and, and changing things. And it's like, it's it's insane how all of this is, our rights are literally being stripped right before our eyes. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. And it's wrong. To wrap things up, I would love to leave this in a positive, I mean, I think the whole conversation has been very positive. Like one positive success story or happy Happy ending, happy story that you'd like to share to take us out of this episode. We'll start with uh, Chris. Why don't we start with you? Because we started with Cleve. Are we talking about our own life or somebody else? You, whatever you want to share. Um, I, I am, I'm no longer in trouble ever. Um, I pretty much, <laughs> I follow laws. Very, I don't support very, that. Get in trouble. I mean, it, <laughs> except for the speed limit and stuff like that, you know, I, no, uh, I've, put my life completely back together um and the only time it really fell apart mentally for me was uh last year when i went through that harassment with work um but rainbow youth project came through for me and ever since then i've been back up on cloud nine you know so my life no matter how it started or or how it went um it's completely different now completely different life and i have found myself and within that is where I found peace in life. Ah, I love that. Getting me choked up again, damn it. <laughs> I love it. I love Khalif. that so much. That, I'm like, how can I follow up with that one? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I was long-winded, y'all. It's just that I think this is something that gets all of us so passionate. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, it pisses me off. This is happening to us. But okay. on a positive note, um, for me, I, you know, I'm just going to continue to uh, be an example, hopefully, you know, for especially in uh, representing Black trans women in particular. I, th- I think that Black trans women, you know, our experience is so um, vastly um, different in a lot of ways, but people could still connect with us, you know. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm just so honored. I was recently given a full ride uh, to USC Annenberg for graduate school for my uh, program in journalism. Wow. Super happy. Hey. Yes. Yeah. And and honestly, I just want to continue to highlight the work that uh, Janet Mock has done, that Laverne Cox mm-hmm. is doing, Isis King, and, and not only just the famous girls, but the girls who were on the ground who are actually service providers like Mariana Marakin, like can uh, my my good friend Cadence King, Shandy Moore. You all know her from I Am Kate. Shandy Moore is a great friend of mine. So just highlighting Black and Brown trans women who who um, are really doing pivotal work, and also Black and Brown trans men like friends of mine's like Lexington Kennedy. He's doing amazing work at ABC. Um, Daniel, who's doing actual service work for the community at Children's Hospital. So it's it's just a lot of um, positive people who are really just living our everyday lives as well. And um, I think that their stories and just honoring what they do in this moment is something that um, I want to highlight. It's amazing. Love that. And so do we at Queer Magnolias. You know, this is... This has been important to us. We really appreciate the fact that you've come on and shared with us your stories. It makes a difference to all of us. And Khalif, I'm just going to say, this table, you never have to apologize for being long-winded. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all are. <laughs> we could sit and talk all day. And we have, actually. So 
Thank you. No, it's once again, what you all are doing is magnificent. Even speaking to the Southern experience of your experiences is so beautiful. You know, I think that you all should continue to be storytellers and highlighting all ty- all different sets of this community. It's just, it's such an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Congratulate y'all. Y'all doing amazing work. <laughs> thank you. Stop it. Yeah. I really feel I really feel like this is like just the first of a converse continuing conversations. I mean, I would love so much to have you both back and just to keep Absolutely. this conversation going because it's all of it's changing. It's changing every day. Yeah. And we I only yeah. I was to the surface too, so you know. And well, I'm going to echo want George. Part two, call us. You know, if you want to part two, let us know. Well, right. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> I'm right here. George, send me a text, boo. Are you ready, George? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. We appreciate uh, you joining us uh, today. And uh, before we go, I would love for the two of you to tell people how they can hear more from you, like how they can get in touch with you or just... I mean, you're both so amazing. I want to hear from you all the time. Yeah, uh, well, my name is Khalif Starks. You can find me on my socials, Instagram and Twitter at Khalif Now. That's K-A-L-E-E-F-N-O-W, Khalif Now. For my uh, Twitter, Instagram, and my YouTube channel, my podcast is called The Perfect Blend, which you can find on all, all major platforms. Type in The Perfect Blend, Khalif Starks, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of them, great. And then YouTube as well, type in Khalif Starks, The Perfect Blend. I, re- I recently started a series called The Pride Series where I highlight people who I know in the community. So that's something that I'm doing specifically for uh, the Pride Months this year. So um, check me out. My name is Chris. Um, You can find me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. It's all Mr. Chris here. We'll tag you guys in our socials too. Absolutely. For sure. That's great. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And thank you everybody for listening. And we'll be back (laughs) next week with a whole new episode. And bye, you guys. Bye. Thank you. See you soon. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Queer Magnolias podcast. We all love you and the amazing support and feedback you have given us thus far. So much. We need more. Uh, Well, we would love to hear more brilliant brainstorms from you magnificent magnolias. So we highly encourage you to be included and find slash follow us at Queer Magnolias on Twitter and at Queer Magnolias Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, if you haven't already. We would love to hear your comments and feedback, good or bad. Uh, wait, what? Wait, no, uh, no. Nobody wants their bad comments. Fuck yeah. that. Fuck off. And you can listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcast, wherever the hell you're listening to us right now or wherever you might find your podcast. All right, until next time, Blossoms.